Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week, uh, wherever you are listening. We are rapidly approaching the holiday times, um, whether that's Christmas for you or Hanukkah or just winter festival times and it's a lot of family chat and people planning to get together and stuff like that. So if you are missing someone this year or even if you were missing them from a long time ago and you're finding this hard, I hope you're doing as okay as can be expected at this dark time of year. Light some candles, do something they would have enjoyed, spend some time with people you feel safe with. And remember, like, this too shall pass. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, just a reminder, as I've been saying recently, my book, You Are Not Alone, is out very soon. It's out in about a month's time, actually, January the 19th, 2023. So everything I've learned from talking to all these people about their experiences of grief and death and everything that helped them and helped me on my 20 plus year journey, you can pre-order it. And if you do that, it's really helpful to me. It means the other bookshops go, oh, this book must be interesting. Everyone's pre-ordering it. So please do pre-order it if you think you're probably going to buy it anyway. That would be hugely, hugely appreciated. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. We also have a book launch 
on January the 17th at Earth in Hackney in London. If you head to the Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast, you can find out more information about that or head to Fane Productions, F-A-N-E, where you can buy your tickets. I will be interviewed by the incredible Fee Glover, former guest of the show. I'm very, very excited that she has agreed to talk to me about grief and death. And it will be, yeah, the usual cheery chat, um, hanging out with griefsters and people who don't mind talking about this stuff and aren't going to panic when we bring up grief. Thank you so much for listening to this season so far. This week, I'm talking to the brilliantly talented Viv Groskop. Viv is a writer, she's a journalist, she's a comedian, uh, she's a documentary maker. She is, yeah, I absolutely love Viv's writing. I just think she's one of those, yeah, extremely brilliant, readable writers. She's written lots of books, How to Own the Room, The Anna Karenina Fix, Lift As You Climb, Au Revoir Tristesse. She speaks many languages. Um, She's, yeah, just an incredibly smart, intelligent brilliant writer who has done lots of different things and I really love a lot of the work that she does I think she's a really interesting person she has a brilliant podcast as well uh, where she interviews all sorts of people and that is also called how to own the room and um, as I said she's done lots of really interesting things and I was just really grateful that she came along to speak to me Viv came to talk to me about her grandparents Vera and Ivor Uh, who died a few years ago now and I just want to mention we do talk in this episode about child loss as well just as a trigger warning here's Viv so Viv who are we remembering today today Cariad we are remembering my grandparents Uh, my yeah my grandmother Vera uh, who died in 2006 and my granddad Ivor who died in 2001. Oh, bless um, Vera and Iva. Those are lovely names. Yeah, they're like proper, proper old school names. Yeah, um, yeah. My, my daughter is named after my grandma, so she's called Vera. And I was going to say both of my sons, but no, only one of my sons uh, is named, has a middle name from from my granddad and it's my, weirdly, my dad's name is also Iva. Oh. So my, in my family when I was growing up my dad was young Iva and <laughs> my granddad was old Iva right so yeah and now your yes. son is mini Iva I guess well yeah I think he probably doesn't really use the Iva part of his name oh, very yeah. much because it's not a very cool name these Aww. days I'm sorry to say it'll come back round it'll come I'm back sure round. it will they always do um so who's parents were they with your, your mums or your dads they're my dad's parents um dad's parents, okay. yeah my mum's parents I wasn't I didn't know so well because um, my mum's from Northern Ireland and she came over to England in the late 60s to marry my dad and then you know we just visited Northern Ireland very occasionally but my grandparents on my father's side they moved from Amersham where they ran a shop for many many years um, but they moved to retire to where we lived in Somerset and oh. so I grew up with them from the age of four I saw them pretty much every day until I left home at 18. Oh wow so, so they were a huge part of your upbringing. They then. were a massive part of my upbringing and my dad's an only child and my mum's got one brother who's in Northern Ireland so it was really quite a small family yeah. so I was really, really close to my grandparents. Uh, They were a massive influence in my life. 
I was kind of known for being very close to my grandmother, that we were very, very similar as people. And I miss her, you know, almost, I, I think it's such a cringe when you have relatives in your family and you say that, like, they're your friend. <laughs> but she she was, and I try not to be, purposefully try not to be friends with my own children. I don't think it's normal. It's not healthy. Um, but yeah, she was really like a friend to me in a lot of ways, you know, because we were so similar in character and in interests. And, you know, when I was a teenager, we used to share clothes and shoes. Oh, my God. And, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Wow, she that's was, so unusual yeah, for a grandma. It was, yeah, it was. Yeah, she was very cool. So I miss her, really miss her a lot. And, you know, unlike lots of people on this amazing podcast who've had all kinds of experiences of grief, I feel quite lucky that my experience of grief is, I think, you know, you can't have a hierarchy of grief, can you? But I think it's no. the most acceptable one in that, you know, these were two people who lived well into their 80s, who had a great life, who I don't think any of either of them necessarily knew that they were going to die on the day that they died, yeah. but it wouldn't have bothered them that much. And it yeah. helped me in my grief to know that they would have felt that way. So I feel quite lucky that I, I've i never had, you know, touch wood, yeah. experienced a death where it was really unexpected or a surprise. But that grief that I have for my grandparents because of my closeness to them is, you know, it never, never goes away. Yeah, and I think that is so important. There is no grief hierarchy. Grief is grief. You know, if you're the one feeling it and dealing with it, that that's what matters <laughs> like it doesn't matter you telling yourself well this isn't as bad as someone else and I you know I've said on the show before you know I it depends who you're talking to sometimes people talk to me like oh god you lost your dad at 15 and then I'll meet someone who lost their mum when they were one years old and you think oh god, I'm lucky you know we can all there's always a scale of these things and there's always a you someone better someone worse you can only cope with your own with your own grief and it is so important not to yeah not to judge it in that way and you know they sound like they were parental roles to you so that is of course you you grieve that yeah definitely I do think that there is something in us though that makes us look for comfort and it's not a right way of looking for comfort I don't think um by comparison you yes, know we, we yeah. try to think oh well at least I don't have it as bad as that person mm. or oh, at least I can manage, but that person must find it really... <laughs> it's yeah. it's a sort of way that we have of coping. Um, and I was I was reading a, an amazing article. It was just in The Guardian um, by Maroki oh, Mills. Yes. Yeah, I read it the, as well. Yeah, her, her teenage daughter died in really tragic circumstances mm. in hospital um, of sepsis, undiagnosed sepsis, after um, an accident, a, a bicycle accident. And she talks about comparison grief and how she envies people who can say I did everything that I could or mm. this situation was unavoidable or we threw all the money that we had at this problem we still couldn't fix it like she envies those people because she has the nagging doubt in her mind which you know if you read the article you I, I don't think she should blame herself for a moment but she has the nagging doubt in her mind that she could have done more she could have stopped it she could have questioned the doctors you know so I think yeah in grief we all look to other people's experiences to work out how bad should I be feeling how is this normal is it okay that I still sometimes I mean now you know my grandmother died in 2006 
And um, I was pregnant with my daughter then, and my daughter is now 16. So 16 years ago, I always have a measure of exactly when, mm. when my grandma died. And I still wake up some mornings and think, oh, I must call my grandma. Yeah. Or I'm, I must, something happens and I think, oh, I really want to tell my grandma about that. Uh, every time Strictly rolls around, um, <laughs> I think of her because we we used to, I used to speak to her every morning on uh, on my walk to work to talk about what had happened on the uh, Strictly catch-up program <laughs> the night before. And it was like a ritual for us. And so every time I think, oh, it's another series that she hasn't seen. <laughs> and that's barely like, you know, that Strictly started when my son was... My son was born and he's 18. So I watched two years of Strictly with my grandma and I've had 16 without. And I still think that I should call her and talk, tell her about it. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny, isn't it? I know. it's. I think, and yeah, that article, I would recommend people seek it out and read it. It was an incredibly written article, incredibly heartfelt and compassionate and empathetic, you know, the way she was talking about her grief and and what had happened to her and I think that comparison you're talking about is really interesting and I wonder if it's I wonder if it's partly being like sort of tribal people of like you know we we are people that need to be in a community and partly there is this you look to your others to like you said to understand yourself of like oh I I my house is not as big as that house (laughs) like my grief is not as bad as that grief like it's how we sort of measure ourselves and I think it's okay it's definitely okay to use it sometimes to to help yourself but it's important to also at the same time be like but this is how I feel like I I still like you said like I still miss my grandma despite you know her living to her 80s and having a good life and all all of those things you still miss her and it's sort of accepting your own emotions even though it's very important to go oh yes it could have been worse and it could have been better and I'm very lucky and all that stuff I think is I think it's helpful but I think it doesn't take away how how you literally feel (laughs) which is maybe you still want to call her and um I I mean we are both mega strictly fans so I appreciate your (laughs) do you think part of it is like it's such a it's such a weird thing to be a mega strictly fan that it's quite nice to have somebody who really will just talk to you about it. Like, oh yeah, totally. It just and will not judge you for it. Be like, yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. That tango was not as good as the one. That oh yeah, happened. well, <laughs> um, my my grandparents were amateur ballroom champions. Oh wow! In the ni- oh in the nineteen fifties. Weirdly enough, um, or not weirdly, but strangely enough for this podcast, because uh, they lost a child. Uh, They had a three-year-old daughter who died of meningitis in 1948. And a miserable, horrible experience, which again, I was kind of reliving through that article of Merope Mills of, you know, Mm. this is the most difficult grief, I think, is when a parent loses a child. And I was very close to my grandma, so I knew a lot about how she'd experienced that. My dad was a baby, their daughter was three. Um, she died very suddenly because the meningitis was not diagnosed, didn't get her to hospital in time. And through the sort of late 40s, early 50s, they really struggled, you know, to keep their mm. marriage together, to raise a baby whilst grieving this little girl. And eventually, my grandma, being a very kind of can-do person, um, she said, right, we're going to, we're going to dance lessons because you need to cheer up. Oh my god. We need to we need to have something outside of ourselves. 
so <laughs> so they started going to these dance lessons and there's they they ran a shop you know they ran a grocer a grocer store so they, they never took any time off so it's quite a difficult thing yeah. for them to make the time for this um but there's these just amazing pictures of them like something out of you know the film strictly ballroom um, where, you know, my granddad's wearing a ridiculous kind of matador costume with a <laughs> giant burgundy silk cummerbund, which wow. my grandma would have made on a sewing machine. And it sort of was was the making of them, really, through the 50s. And I think they probably dropped it after about five or six years. But it definitely gave them back a connection between themselves as a couple, which is one of the things that people always say about when you lose a child. It's very mm. difficult to keep your relationship together. Because you have to become, you know, my grandma talked to me about this, you have to become, you have to remember the person that you were before the child died and the relationship that you had together. But you have to also start a new relationship mm. with, as a grieving person, with another grieving person. It's almost like you have to kind of meet again. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So, so Strictly was like a, a really meaningful thing <laughs> for for my grandma because she... Yeah, she saw, you know, people now get very sort of misty eyed about Strictly, don't they? And they have mm. all these journeys and it's it, it's seen as something bigger than it is because it allows people to discover a side of themselves and we get to see people blossom and all of that. But my grandma sort of knew all of that before yeah. anyone realised it. So she she was really into it and championed it from the beginning. So that was a very sweet connection that we had and a thing that we'd both love to talk about. What an amazing... I'm a, I'm a bit not blown away but I'm a bit um I'm impressed with Vera that she had the foresight to say right we need to do something about this and she did it in that time when you know mental health was not being discussed and and grieving was packed away and I'm sure there were lots of people who had lost children and it just wasn't discussed in that way because that was the time that she found something and that your grandpa your granddad also agreed was like yeah we do need to do this and went and wore the matador outfit and the cummerbund like it would have been so easy for both of them not to make those choices but that's I think that says a lot about I feel like I understand part of her as a person that that's the choice she made yeah I think in those days I mean I did I did talk to her a lot about this when I was growing up and probably when I was a teenager most of all there wasn't really an outlet to talk about these things. Mm. And my grandma used to always say that she found it very difficult when she would meet people and they would say, oh, you know, you're, you're a mum, you have children. How many children do you have? Yeah. And that, you know, you have to answer that question for about 20 years. Yeah. And you have to decide whether to say, oh, I have two children, but one of them has died. Yeah. <laughs> Which you don't want to say because then you'll make the other person feel uncomfortable, you'll make yourself feel upset. <laughs> but you also don't want to say, oh, yeah, I have one child. Because yeah. you don't. So she knew that that was something that was very difficult to talk about, very difficult to be open about. And, you know, certainly the idea of counselling or therapy or mm. um, anything like that was completely unknown. And... Yeah, I suppose my granddad was not quite as open talking about it. And I think that my grandma was aware of that, that there needed to be an outlet. You know, mm. there needed to be a recognition of this is tough and you need to come out of yourself in some way. You know, obviously a talking therapy is one way of doing doing it. But reinventing yourself by doing something fun or exciting or different 
is another way of doing it. And that's what, what she tried to do through dancing. I'll always remember her saying to me as well that a few months, I think, after, or maybe it was longer than a few months, maybe more like a year or something, I don't know, after her daughter died, they finally decided that they could go to the cinema. Uh, before then, they hadn't wanted to go because they'd thought, you know, how can you go to the cinema when your child has died? Yeah. All those kind of tiny decisions about what you do in life, they become so massive. Anyway, so they went to the cinema and they went to see some film that was a comedy or something. And she said she remembered laughing out loud and then clamping her hand over her mouth to stop oh. the laughter from coming out because she thought, how dare you laugh? You know, how dare you enjoy yourself? And oh. then she came away and thought about it some more <laughs> and thought, actually, no, how can you not laugh? Like, how can you not go to the cinema and enjoy yourself? You, you have to carry on. So she clearly had a, a kind of an idea in her head of how you need to work these things through and how you need to not judge yourself and how you need to actually take practical steps and accept the moments that are really guilt making like mm. going to the cinema for the first time and laughing when you don't feel like you should just accept all the huge mass of complications in those emotions so she was you know it's incredible I feel incredibly privileged that I yeah. had the kind of relationship with her where we could talk about these things god what an amazing I just <laughs> yeah I'm a bit astounded because I just think the way she's talking about stuff it's almost it I don't be patronising, but it's almost like that very sort of modern framing of things of, of 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 being able to because mental health at that time, so many people did just go, well, you're wrong, you know, you shouldn't be happy, or that let's not talk about it. That's not. But the fact that she was able to go, oh, hang on a minute, I can laugh. This isn't fair. I'm going to have to live like. And for her to, what I'm really interested in, Viv, is that she spoke so honestly to you about stuff yeah well like I she think, was obviously very mm, open with you which is mate what an amazing like you said privilege to have that. yeah she she was a very open person and she spoke to people very easily she was very charismatic she she ran a, the shop you know yeah. she was a real like like if Scylla Black ran a corner <laughs> shop you know that's what she was like and she was always glammed up you know she later became an Avon lady wow always had lipstick on or had her hair set every week at the hairdressers and then you know never touched it for a week um she she was always very on you yeah. know and very open with people um I think most people did not ask her about those things and yeah. so she she didn't talk to people she didn't open that conversation with people but I did because mm. I'm really nosy <laughs> and I always want to know everything about everything and how did this happen and how did you feel and like that's just how I am and I asked her those things and I you know didn't force her to talk about yeah, it but I, yeah. I was persistent in asking and she was open enough to to talk about it but yeah amazing amazing that you again had the foresight to ask her because again that is such a common regret that people have of oh I didn't ask I didn't think and that you were persistent and that and that she was open with you and I think I'm always a bit astounded my grandmother was a very um cold <laughs> uh, the one that we saw all the time and again very glamorous hair set every week you know but was very like 
there was no you you didn't ask questions <laughs> you were expected to behave not really speak to her and then leave and so I always find it really lovely when there's that relationship where it like, it's very human that she you know talked to you and shared those thoughts with you and explained such a painful part of her life I mean my god that must have been just just awful and that that question we we talk about that a lot on the show of you know the questions you get asked and I've I've heard it before from people who've lost siblings as well. You know, how many brothers and sisters you have? And you're like, um, well, <laughs> you know, I did have two, but now I only have one. And it's, it is a really, really difficult question. And, and having to navigate that when you said at a time when people don't really want, they just want you to say the thing that's going to keep the conversation going. I mean, maybe I'm being unfair in the past. Obviously, I'm just using the stereotypical cliches of what the 40s and 50s were like. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. So she passed away first, is that right? I, no. Uh, yeah, my granddad died first, first in, sorry, two, yeah. in 2001 because he was five years older than her. Right, okay. Doesn't mean uh, anything, does it? But yeah. No, no. He, um, what did he yeah. die of? What happened? He, he died... Well, I guess my parents might have a different story to this because they may have m- more access to his medical records than I had but I would say he died of old age right you know he died a really really great death (laughs) he died at home in his own bed I was there my grandma was there my husband was there he was having end end of life care so he was on morphine but we were all able to say goodbye to him and he was able to say goodbye to us wow so that was pretty extraordinary 
Um, it did happen quite quickly. And I mean, I suppose when somebody dies, it's always too soon, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it, we knew for about three days that it that it was coming. And so he was moved out. He was all in a home and he was moved out of his home, out of the home, back into his own home. And so we had that chance to know that this was happening. Um, he'd had, you know, like lots of old people, he'd had all kinds of um, heart problems and various other problems that, you know, he'd just about recovered from and he just got more and more rickety. Um, and then I think he was 86 or 86 when he died or maybe he's 84, I can't remember. But yeah, he'd had a good innings and he'd pretty much said so. And how um, was your grandmother at this time then? How did she cope with she it? She was, uh, you know, lived up to her reputation of being extremely practical so she was the one who masterminded the move to get him out of the home because she had quite a lot of resistance to that um, of people saying, you know, it's much easier for us to care for him here. Mm. It's going to be more comfortable for him. The, the journey is only, you know, it's like a 20 minute journey or something, but it's, the journey's not going to be easy in an ambulance, et cetera, et cetera. She's like, no, 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 no. I want him at home. And she was very strong in enforcing that through. And I think that helped her. You know, I think if you get to make proactive choices mm. of, no, this is the way I want this to be done. This is what's right for me. This is what's right for us. I think those things, you know, the word empowering is overused these days. But I think those things are empowering and they mm. perhaps help to prepare you for your grief a bit better and help you through it because she felt like she had choices and she'd done things the way she wanted to and for him she wanted to do it for him yeah yeah it was sad though because you know they were married for you know well over 50 years I'm trying to think did we actually celebrate their 60th I don't think we did but we certainly celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary and they were you know absolute soulmates having especially gone through this really difficult thing of losing their mm. daughter and she was bereft after he died and uh, she lived in a in a two-bedroom place and she moved into the other bedroom because she didn't want to sleep in the same room that she shared with him she was too much and she was pretty heartbroken uh, and she lived another five years yeah and she you know re did recover during that time and and coped and was determined to cope and determined not to to fade away or be broken by that grief and she had you know I had my first child uh, two years after my granddad died and so she had a great relationship that was her first and only grandchild that she met um, I was pregnant with my daughter and she knew about that um, mm. before she died so she had a new life as a grandmother that yeah. was maybe a helpful thing and she always had, she was somebody who always had loads of friends, loads of interests, always got somebody coming around for a drink, uh, never afraid to ask for help, you know, if she felt ill, you know, I think it's really difficult as you get older, you can get very proud and perhaps you don't want to go to the doctors or you don't want to do mm. this, that and the other. She was never like that. So as soon as she felt a bit ill, she would go and see someone. If she was down, she would go and sort that out. Um, she was a very, very proactive person and, you know, a great model of how to handle old age and how to handle losing someone when you're really old because mm. yeah it must be so, so hard you know so so hard to lose someone when like, you like, it's your life isn't it it's your entire entire part of who you are 50 percent of what you you've been through together and then so she passed away in 2006 were you with her what happened with her yeah death? that was a much more dramatic and 
in some ways quite traumatic. It took me a, quite a long time to get over this really and to grieve my grandma in more of the way that I grieved my grandfather, which was mm. kind of more with gratitude. And in the end, I do have gratitude for the way that she died, but I'm sure she won't mind if I... I'm not exactly going to make this into a hilarious story, but there are amusing elements right, to it. Yeah. In that there always um, are. It's life. Yeah. It's never, like nothing is well, ever um, all somber yeah. or all funny. Weirdly, when my granddad died, my parents were away on holiday, and so we were there with him when he died and looking after helping my grandmother. And then weirdly, when my grandmother died, my parents, because my parents and my grandparents lived in the same place, whereas we right. were in the West Country, we were living in London, so we'd have to come down to to see them and weirdly my parents were away when my grandmother died so we'd gone down there me and my husband and my my son who's then a toddler we'd gone down there to spend some time with her I think we must have been staying at my parents house and we went around to see her one evening we had a great time we must have left her because we needed to put my little boy to bed because he Mm. would have been two then Otherwise, I'm kind of thinking, why didn't we spend the evening with her? But we didn't spend the evening with her because we had to get, you know, two-year-old to bed. And so we would have then watched the Eurovision at home. Yeah. And she would have watched the Eurovision at home. And again, Eurovision's a bit like Strictly. It's something that we were really into and Mm -hmm. we really loved watching. And we went round to visit her the next morning and there was no answer. And... I could then see that she was just lying in the hallway. I could oh, see through God. the front door. And, you know, my son, who was two, was was shouting, oh, you know, no, 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 where are you? You know, not realising anything's wrong. And I've initially thought that, you know, she's just this second had a fall. Yeah. But she hadn't. She had died the, the night before. And oh. um, we will never know whether she watched the Eurovision <laughs> Or not, and I, I mean, we used to joke, and she—I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this—that it was the year that Lordy won the Eurovision. Who were? I think they're Icelandic. Oh yes, sorry, I love Eurovision, and I was panicking. Yeah. I thought, oh my god, Lordy, yes, yes, the heavy death, metal, death yeah, metal, yes, Lord of the Rings, yeah. orc style. Iceland, were they? No, heavy rock. Yeah, yeah. Iceland. Yeah, um, and they won. And sometimes I think. Yeah, the shock of that probably did kill her. <laughs> um, but, you know, she... Uh, yeah, so we'll never know whether she experienced the abomination that was the the triumph of Lordy. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, either either she saw it and was shocked and or, thank God, she didn't get to see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, There's maybe. Like, yeah. Either way. <laughs> yeah, either a, way. <laughs> yeah, so that was a very shocking and strange experience. That's maybe one God. of the strangest experiences of my life. Of that. What did you do? Of, like, how did you, did you call a neighbour? Did you, like... Um, we had to break into the house. So oh, we, we really weren't sure whether she was, you know, we could just see her yeah. lying on the ground and that she wasn't responding. And so we broke into the house whilst calling you know the emergency services yeah. and then you know it's so weird if anybody's ever been in a situation like this i know exactly how it feels time stops yeah. so i experience my memory of that time of like it must have taken about six hours but yeah. actually it probably took 10 minutes oh um God. from us like seeing her breaking down the door calling the ambulance the ambulance coming the time and then finding out that that she she had died um and you know comically also i was 
massively pregnant. Oh God! I was huge. Yeah. I was. I. I mean, it really like looked like I was having twins or triplets. Yep. It was only one baby, but yeah. um, you know, I famously have very large babies and become very large. Um, <laughs> Yeah, one when I had my first baby, the midwife said we thought it was going to be a very big baby, but it turned out to be mostly mum. So I do get very large, and um, I remember the next door neighbour coming round to see if they could help and to see what was going on. And we'd left our son with them so that he wasn't caught up in all of this. And he came round, and I didn't really know him that well. And I just I was crying, and I hugged him, or I tried to hug him. But my belly was so gigantic, I could sort of hardly reach him. So I was sort of like, like touching his shoulders and trying to hug him. And he was kind of trying to pull away from me. That is so oh, funny. Boo. I, I really wish that my grandmother was here to see this because she would find it very funny. Oh my and I God. found that in that moment as well, there were a lot of comical things happened. Like somebody in the emergency services turned up and said, you can't leave until the police get here because they have to check that it's not a decapitation. <laughs> what? And I was like, why would you say that to me? Why? Oh Can you see? I'm heavily pregnant. I've just had a terrible shock. One of the people I love most in all of the world. Oh, my God. Has died. What? And you're talking to me about a decapitation. But surely you could see she hadn't been decapitated. No, like, I know, but the police have to come and certify that or something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I can, like, she's I, all there. Like, what, what are they? Know, who's checking? incredibly weird. Oh so yeah, God. the the reality was she probably had a heart attack or a stroke. Oh. I I can't remember if it was ever properly found out. But yeah, it's funny when things like that happen as well, especially when somebody has been has died obviously the night before. Yeah. Because you do get caught up in these questions of like the police do have to come and they have to check like is it possible that somebody broke in? Yeah. Is it possible that, you know, she was startled by somebody or that there was an altercation or that there's, you know, they have to rule out that it's not a crime. Oh god. And that's that's in itself quite stressful. Yeah. Yeah, I think any yes, any death where the police have to come and check something. Yes, but there was no foul play yeah. other than the performance of Lordy <laughs> at the Eurovision. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and being cause I, I mean I really relate because I was massively pregnant when my child was about two and a half and it you are you're a unit you know you're not you're not a person that people can just be like oh this has happened it's like they are talking to you plus giant belly plus toddler like it, it, it's a lot to manage in that situation so that must have been so difficult for you and so shocking to have to face all that and then your parents well that's weird that they're always away when this is yeah happening. it was weird I think now that I remember my my dad was away but my mum was around but she wasn't around on that morning so I then had to yeah. go and get her so oh, I had to God. drive somewhere to get her and tell her I'm just trying to think yeah I guess we would have all had mobile phones then why didn't I tell her on the phone mm, I don't know but I didn't want her on the phone or something, yeah. but she knew as soon as she saw my face oh yeah but again though in a way when I say about gratitude and processing traumatic moments I think with some deaths you know every grief is different hence the point of this podcast but I think there with some grief there comes a moment of acceptance mm. and yes that experience was really shocking there are some comic moments that my grandma would have appreciated <laughs> 
But I can now pass over into the kind of grief that is about appreciating her life, remembering all the amazing things we used to do together, remembering what a fun person she was. And you pass over into something that is more easier to cope with. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that is important to acknowledge and important. It's not lucky. It's just that thing of, I guess we go back to comparison, aren't we? But Mm. I feel the same, you know? Like, I feel, even though... I was very young and it was very sad and tragic that he died. There were lots of things that I can say, well, we were with him and, you know, we did have two months. And again, it's that thing where you, anything like that, those little like tiny bridges really enable you to pass over to that other place where you can find a, a softening or an easing of the pain. And, and I think they are really important. They are really important in any grief to be like, well, there was that (laughs) and even though you're not like glad they died or you wouldn't choose it like I think those things are really important and and I think you have to come to to that conclusion I think what sometimes hurts people is when they like other people say oh well they had a good innings and you're like well hang on a minute (laughs) like I I haven't felt like that yet I miss them even though they were 80 even you know so I think other people try and offer them to you but it's sort of something you have to personally go through to be able to, you know, laugh about it rather than thinking, oh God, this is so awful. I just found my grandmother on the floor. Yeah, I think some of it is, you know how, I've always meant to look up, look up whether this is a myth and a cliche or it's actually true. But you know how they say that in some languages they have a hundred words for snow. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sweet, Swedish or Icelandic or whatever. I'm sure, I'm sure they do. <laughs> or yeah. maybe not a hundred, but they have more than one word. I feel like we should have more than one word for grief. Yes. And yes. maybe in some languages they do. Yeah. Um, and there should, it shouldn't be like there are certain stages of grief and you have to conform to these five stages. There should maybe be like 3,000 words for grief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's all to do with, I think the nature of your relationship with that person, Mm. your relationship with the story around their death, what's going on in your life. Like, you know, for me, it was, it was horrible that I was pregnant and my grandma was going to never meet her granddaughter. But also I sensed a continuation there and that's why I named my daughter after her. Yeah. And I did get some comfort from that. You know, I'm not going to break into a rendition of the circle of life. (laughs) Well, I'm tempted to though. Um, You know, I I did get some comfort from that kind of slightly uh, cheesy idea that, you know, okay, this is how it is. And I remember, you know, being at her funeral and feeling people nervously eyeing my belly yeah yeah (laughs) oh god you know okay there's yeah there's one in the one in the ground (laughs) and one and one inside you like uh so those things you know they're our our experiences are extremely individual i think that's Mm. that's what it is and we don't necessarily have the language for that and a lot of the interactions that we've been talking about when we talk about these, this idea of comparison, they're kind of to do with etiquette, you know, and that people don't quite know what to say. There's the things that you say in public and the things that you say as a platitude and the things that you say in private. Yeah, and I, I, so much of it is British politeness, culture, trying to find a way. And, and, And I think what you said that is, is so true is the, 
the lack of language <laughs> I just couldn't think of the word it was lack yeah um, the lack of nuance that we have and you know the joke is as well with our language isn't it? like we have so many different words for for rain you know, drizzle mizzle like muggy <laughs> like all this descriptiveness we have for our weather that we then don't have for our emotions and I completely agree with you and it, and it wasn't until I started this podcast because of my relationship with my grandmothers, both of them I wasn't very close to at all. So when someone first said to me, oh, like, I'm sort of devastated my grandmother died, I couldn't get my head around it. Because I was like, what is it like to have a grandmother like that? Like, I honestly was like, oh. And then it was talking to other people. I was like, oh, I see. I had a very close relationship with my grandfather. Um, but he died six months after my dad. So poor, you know, it was kind of overshadowed. <laughs> it was like, well, right. okay, well, we're dealing with this now. Um and it wasn't until, yeah, I remember there's an episode um, with Sean Harry's wonderful Welsh um, comedian and comic writer and who was extremely close to both her grandparents, similar to you. And and talking to her, that really made me understand, like, oh, it's, you know, it's just individual, isn't it? It's like what relationship you had, of course. But we apply our same labels of like, oh, well, I have a grandmother, therefore I understand how you feel when you lose a grandmother. And funny enough, my, I was pregnant at my grandmother's funeral and with a girl and everyone was like oh are you gonna name her and I was like no <laughs> like I'm not because she was a very distant woman that I that lived around the corner from me and and literally never asked me a single question like barely spoke to me so I, I was like no why would I want to continue that in a way and I don't you know I have no malice towards the woman she had her own problems it's just who she was and that's just who I was we just didn't particularly gel but I think that's so nice that you had that and that you could acknowledge that circle of life and it is a cliche but also it's a cliche for a damn good reason and I just want to ask this is a a bit of a not cheeky question um but like do you think that with you because she had lost a daughter there was something in that relationship with you that she was able to find again oh that's a totally reasonable question Carrie yeah. <laughs> uh yeah and it's one I've thought about a lot mm. um yes I I do and for me again as I get older as well and it's been 16 years since my grandmother died and 21 years since my granddad died and you know I still have loads of old photos of their daughter who died wow. age in 1948 <laughs> and all of that stuff is is kind of carried on in me mm. um, I've looked back on it all and thought about it a lot and I can see it's very nuanced, I think. Yeah, On the yeah. one hand, I think it was a really incredible thing and it really taught me that... And I, I don't want to be trite about this because I think when a child... When you lose a child... Mm. I mean, you're talking about how grief is not the same for anyone. I mean, that is like times a million. Ti I mean, times yeah. a bazillion if, you, if your child dies before you. I've spoken to lots of people about this and... I know that one thing that is quite frustrating sometimes for parents who have lost lost children is that people want them to like get together with other parents who have lost children. Right. Yeah, as if yeah. like somehow that's going to give them a comfort. I yeah. mean, it's such a unique, nuanced grief and terror that it's impossible to compare your circumstances to anyone else. But so I don't want to say this in a trite way, but it my grandmother's experience taught me that life will bring other stuff to you in the future. <laughs> like, yeah. That doesn't sound very profound. But no, I really I feel like when I was born and my sister was born 
my grandmother was clearly, and my granddad as well, but my grandmother in particular, they were clearly set on having a great relationship with us and not wasting a second. And that is so incredible and powerful. And would they have Mm. been like that had their daughter survived, you know, probably who knows who knows knows? but my more as much as my relate her my relationship with her and her relationship towards us uh, me and my sister my grandmother did live every single day as if it was her last and every good thing that happened to her she sucked the life out of it (laughs) you know she never wallowed in anything she processed stuff that was you know if something bad happened she would work it through Uh, she was you know, she wasn't somebody who swept things under the carpet. She mm. kept things out in the open and really tried to embrace life. And I really, really learned that from her. So, yeah, I do think, yeah, in answer to your question, that it did affect our relationship. The fact that she was a parent who had lost a child. So being a grandparent was incredibly precious to her. But on the flip side of that, uh, there's a tiny little bit of grit in that oyster, <laughs> which yeah. is that... I wondered sometimes, I do wonder now sometimes how much of that relationship I had with her was a compensation for the loss of someone else who I could never even know. Yeah, yeah. But that's also okay. That is okay. (laughs) You know, because that's what happened to her and I'm happy for her to deal with it however she did and I'm happy to benefit from the huge love that she gave to me. I think that's really profound, Viv. I just think <laughs> I do. Well, I have thought about this a lot, Carrie, and I've had a loss. I've had a loss of therapy, <laughs> so I have been through this. Uh, yeah, been over I do. This I just think it's, and I think it comes back to my new. Well, my the obsession that I, I have, thanks to Griefcast, is that there's always two truths at the same time. And like, you know, and we have to hold them. And that's what life is, is trying to hold things that are difficult at the same time. And I think you're right. You know, yeah, of course, it it must have given her that joy to suddenly have two little girls around after losing a little girl. How can how can you not have made that connection? But as you said, you know, you weren't her daughters and that, that pain doesn't magically go away when you get grandkids. It's not like, oh, now I feel fine. But what you do, it's sort of like what you do with that, isn't it? And I agree with you. There's no sort of way to sum it up. But it sounds like she really, she really lived very wholeheartedly, which sounds like bad writing. (laughs) No, I'm struggling to put it up. Yeah, that's a great, a great way of putting it. Yeah, she did. She really, really lived life. I would say, you know, this is a really hard thing to express but in a very sort of serious way in knowing like the absolute I do think I know we're trying not to talk about comparisons and Mm. hierarchy of grief here but I do think it's probably the worst thing that can happen to you actually is to lose a child well we do the thing that I have read over and over again is there's no hierarchy of grief apart from losing a child which trumps right it's like that does so she yeah having experienced the worst of life Mm. she took life very very seriously whilst at the same time wearing it very very lightly yeah and that is a huge skill it's huge it's absolutely huge and and not you know not to condemn anyone that can't do that it's really difficult and it must have been so hard for her but to be near someone that is living like that can be a really 
<laughs> yeah, empowering. <laughs> oh yeah, it was experience. great for me. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was great for me. Yeah, and my so great. my grandpa, who I was close to, he was married to the the cold grandmother, and never spoke to me. I mean, she didn't need to speak because he did all the talking. That was the thing, and he was a survivor of prisoner of war in you know in Singapore so he had been out in Asia and been caught and he lived life like everything was yeah you know he talked about that a lot his experience a lot and he lived it as if like he appreciated everything he used to say to me you know like even the salt on my food I taste because once I didn't have that and I missed it and yeah, when my dad died, wow. it, it broke him. Like he said, he died six months after my dad. He just, li- and it was such a shock to see someone who had lived and lived and just enjoyed every single moment just go, no, I, I, I'm done. And he used to say, that's all he said for six months after my dad died. He just say, he isn't right. It isn't right. It's in the wrong order. And mm. so I do think, but I know what it's like to live, to be near their grandparent who is just, brilliant you know and when you're a grandkid you can appreciate you get such a different relationship to them because you're obviously not getting any of the their neurosis and stress of a day-to-day basis you're just getting fun them most of the time so yeah she sounds like an amazing woman like I just think my god what a what a way to deal with what life has handed you because we have no control over that but we do have control over how we handle it that's all all we have and it's it's just not always possible to live like that. But it sounds like she really, she really did. Yeah, she gave it a bloody good go. I mean, yeah. she'd be the last person to say, oh, I'm a saint and I know everything because I've experienced yeah, the death yeah. of a child. She'd be like, no, I'm just as messed up as anybody else. And it's in, if it's not sainthood, is it? It's just, that's the thing. It's not like, oh, they're so wonderful. They're, all they did was give, give, give. It's like they just lived. And that's yeah. joyous to be around. Yeah. Well, there's a quote, which I'm trying to remember who it's by. I think it might be, Einstein which is you can live your life as if everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle (laughs) and I remember you know cheesy quote whatever but I remember seeing that quote for the first time and thinking oh yeah that's what my grandma does yeah yeah she lives everything as if oh yeah this day's not coming back yeah and that's that's what my grandpa was like as well and it was amazing to have someone like whenever any anything new was invented or anything happened he would lose his mind he would like come and grab you and be like look at this it's a bread maker like you put the flour in bread can you believe it like it's a miracle because he had lived through this awful experience and it, it does it is nice to be around people who who live like that because you do it does make you pull yourself up and go oh yeah I guess that is really cool <laughs> I guess that is an amazing thing I just take it you take so much for granted and I do yeah it's important to say it's not and I feel like that you know losing someone extremely close to you doesn't make you a saint at all but it does make you aware of the worst part of living and then how you go forward from that is interesting is an interesting journey um I kind of wished I'd been on a whatsapp with you and your grandma as well as a massive strictly in Eurovision fan (laughs) oh yeah you 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 would have loved it I like to think that she would be up in arms about Anton Dubeck being a judge oh good but she could also go totally the opposite way so that's slightly torturing for me (laughs) (laughs) she might have approved do you think she just would have liked him so much more Anton the better Maybe, although, you know, I think middle period Anton where he was doing all of the joke dancing mm. with Anne Widdicombe. I oh, think Anne, Anne Widdicombe was after my grandmother's death. Yeah, thank yeah. God. Thank God. Because that would have been the death of her, if not Lordy. <laughs> then Anne Widdicombe dressed as a canary being thrown around oh uh, my but God. in the name of 
ballroom dancing my grandma would have found it so offensive <laughs> and I'm, I agree I agree Vera I agree it was yeah it wasn't a highlight for anybody apart from Anne Whittacombe <laughs> Oh, Viv, thank you so much for talking to me about Vera and Ivor. they just, what a brilliant pair of people and how wonderful to hear about them. It was really, really wonderful. Oh, thanks, Carrie. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity because it's not often that you get to talk like this about something that you've thought about a lot yourself. Yeah, and you, yeah. you know, if anybody ever meets me at a party, I'm not going to drag you off into a corner and tell you this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might do. <laughs> I wish so, people, that, but, well you would if it was me that's how I deal with parties I'm like tell me about your dead yeah. person I know they sound um, epic but yeah thank you for the opportunity to remember them you can find out more about Viv's work if you head to vivgroskop.com that's v-i-v-g-r-o-s-k-o-p.com uh, that's where you can find all her information about her books and her podcasts you, you can listen to How to Own the Room as well wherever you get your podcasts and buy her books in all the usual places you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast the show was recorded remotely uh, it was edited by Kate Holland it was the music was provided by the Glue Ensemble um, and social animation is provided by Alice Lovedave. You see those nice little things we've been doing on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and thank you for getting this far. I thoroughly appreciate you listening to the end. Um, the book, as I said, is out in January. Please do pre-order it. That would be much appreciated. And remember, you are not alone. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 